0: Mac Power Users, Episode 71, Workflows with Harry McCracken. Hello, friends. David Sparks here, along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. We've got a special guest with us today, Harry McCracken. Welcome, Harry.
1: Hey, folks. It's great to be here.
0: Now, Harry is the, I guess you're the publisher and uh, primary author at the Technologizer uh, blog, correct? That's right.
1: Founder and and editor. Founder, editor, CEO, bottle washer, all the good stuff.
0: (laughs) But Harry has also been writing technology for years, and he does stuff with Time Magazine and several other uh, big publications that would never want anything to do with me and Katie, right?
1: Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm something to do with you because you have a great podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the uh, but so I've been a fan of Harry's for a long time, and I I love the stuff you do. And uh, in December, Harry wrote a post about it's entitled "How the iPad 2 Became My Favorite Computer," and immediately started uh, pestering him with emails because uh, I thought it was a really interesting post where you were talking about how you made the choice. I guess intentionally, to see if you could just use your iPad and, and ditch the laptop for the type of work you do. And largely, the answer was yes.
1: The answer has turned out to be yes, probably about 80% of the time. Uh, oh. and when I'm out and about, which I am most of the time, it's higher than 80%. And when I'm at home, I tend to use um, my MacBook Air and sometimes a Windows laptop more often, just because some of the benefits of the iPad are less pertinent when I'm not out and about.
0: Yeah, So, well, and y- your job includes a lot of travel, so you're out going to conferences and events all over the world, really. In fact, when you wrote this post, you had gone to Germany and primarily relied upon your iPad there.
1: I'm uh, pretty nomadic, so I spent a lot of time just sort of traveling around the Bay Area, work, working in coffee shops, and uh, sometimes in my car and, and visiting companies. And during the last few months, when I've been using the iPad mostly, I, I just happened to have gone to... One conference in Berlin, and one in Japan, and in both cases, yeah, the the iPad was my primary system on both of those trips.
2: Well, let's let's take just a little bit step back here and and do the setup before the iPad. How did this all work? What types of things did you did you do, and 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 then you can kind of talk about how you transitioned to the iPad and how that was better. So, what what kind of tasks are you performing on a daily basis? Well.
1: I am a writer and blogger, so most of my daily tasks relate to that. A lot of what I do, I do in in WordPress, um, because it's the blogging platform I use, both when I write for my own site, Technologizer, and when I write for Time. I also do some stuff for CNET, which uses its own proprietary blogging system. And sometimes if I write for something that's going to show up in, in a Dead Tree magazine, I'm using a word processor. And beyond writing, I end up doing a lot of imaging and image related stuff. Um, In some cases, it's pretty simple. I'm just resizing a photograph of a product. But in other cases, I'm I'm doing fairly elaborate things where where I'm compositing an image and some text, and I'm I'm really doing something more sophisticated. And when I'm doing that on the computer, I tend to do that in a a full-blown copy of Photoshop.
0: Okay. And so primarily, you're writing and taking pictures, and working with the pictures so you can put pictures up with your posts.
1: Those are the key things. I mean, I am also, um, I mean, a lot of what I do is write about things on the web. So web browsing is a key thing I do. Um, I'm running a small company, so I'm doing stuff like accounting, uh, sometimes stuff relating to using PDFs. Um, Occasionally, I'm doing stuff involving video editing as well. I'll, I'll put videos up on my site. You
0: know, you didn't talk about that in your article, but now that I think about it, I mean, you run the whole Technologizer website, so you've got to deal with all of the elements of that. And you're doing that on your iPad.
1: Mostly, um, you know, in terms of things I haven't done on my iPad, um, web development stuff, I do not do on the iPad for the most part because I actually run a a local copy of WordPress and Apache and, and PHP on a, uh, a MacBook Air or a Windows machine, and I okay. use a And And while I think it would be, technically be possible to do this on an iPad, that's one case where it's just way less efficient. And my accounting I do in, in QuickBooks, and, and I believe it might be possible to do that in QuickBooks Online from an iPad. But at the moment, all of my accounting data is stored on my MacBook, and I have, I have not gone through the effort, at least not yet, to try to do that on the iPad.
0: So you're using QuickBooks for Mac? Yes. You're in the minority.
1: I know, and I certain sometimes flirt with with either moving to Windows or moving online or, or doing something else. But as you can imagine, once you have a lot of accounting data in one format, the temptation is what you've got. Yeah,
0: and, and Intuit doesn't make it easy to go back and forth, so it's it's like you know you've got to pick your pick your poison there, which side you're going to do it on. <laughs> I do think, however, they're getting it more aggressive about the online stuff, and I would guess pretty soon that a lot of us are going to be able to just do QuickBooks online. And and dump the old stuff.
1: If I were starting over today, I would do that just because I want something I can use on a Mac, on Windows, and, and now on the iPad.
2: Which of course presents this whole other host of problems. Of is it really secure, and how much data is it to, is it accessing? But but I think if any any big company can figure that out, hopefully it's into it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You uh, tell us about this transition to the iPad. I told the story earlier in the podcast. I don't know if you listened to that show when I did the iPad at Workbook. For the legal practice, I did a similar thing. For three months, I left the Mac at home and decided how much can I get done with just an iPad. And I was surprised at how much I could. But you're doing different tasks than me, and you covered it very well in your article. But tell us what you're doing on your iPad now that you're trying to make this transition. Or I guess you've made the transition.
1: It's pretty much complete. I've been doing it for about five months. so I don't think it qualifies as an experiment anymore. It's just part of my life.
0: Yeah. So, so you're not doing it for the sake of an article. You're just doing it.
1: No, in fact, it was never that way. I, I've, I've done that in other cases. I've done things like, like living with a Netbook or living with a Chromebook. In those cases, I sort of did it as a stunt. But in, in this case, um, it very quickly became something I just did because I, I find it overall to be the most efficient way for me to get my job done.
2: So it and, just it just started one day where you thought, hmm, I'm going to leave the, the MacBook at home, and and then it well, worked?
1: Well, I'd had an an iPad since the day the first one was released, not surprisingly, because I I went out and bought one so I could write about it. And I used it um, for the first year and a half in in a fairly conventional manner. I I did use it primarily for consuming stuff, So, so browsing the web, reading Kindle books, using Flipboard and so forth. And I would do very light text entry, so I would respond to emails and do basic stuff like that. But I would not write even a 300-word blog post, let alone a 3,000-word article on it. And I was aware of external keyboards for the iPad, and I had tried a few of them. And I had not found any of them to be satisfactory. Uh, Either the keyboard was not great, or the way that it fastened onto the iPad was was kind of cumbersome, or both. And then I I heard, actually, I was reading a review by Walt Mossberg in the Wall Street Journal of, of iPad keyboards. And he reviewed several, and one of them was the Zagfolio, which was the first one I saw that got me excited and, and, and sounded like something that, that might essentially give me all the benefits of the iPad plus, plus a keyboard that, that made sense for a writer. And the Zagfolio essentially, I mean, it basically turns the iPad into a, a small notebook um, because it's a clamshell case and you can easily stick the iPad too into it. And the keyboard is just as good as a a keyboard on a a small laptop. And while it does not have all of the keyboard shortcuts you might want, it it has quite a few of them. So you can do things like cut and paste and and move around in a word processing document without touching the screen. And I I ordered the Zagfolio. Um, The first run they did had some uh, manufacturing issues, so the clasp did did not work correctly. And despite that, it it was just sort of a a revelation. And... um, the key thing about the iPad that makes it useful for me is not most of the things you might guess it would be. It's the 10-hour battery life. Because when when I'm out and about with, with a laptop, um, it's very hard for me for any laptop, be it a Windows machine or, or a Mac, to get more than about three hours of battery life. And so I, I have to carry along an AC adapter, and I'm constantly worrying about draining my battery, and I'm looking for uh, wall outlets Yes. Like a vagrant.
0: You're you're walking around with your, your plug in your hand and you're looking behind couches and yep. under tables and hotel lobbies. I've been there before.
1: And the airports are the worst. There's, yeah. there's like one outlet for an entire wing of, of an
2: airport. Usually yeah, by the trash can.
1: Yep.
0: And then there's a guy sitting at that desk right. drinking a smoothie and he's yes, not even using it.
2: He's <laughs> not a, it excuse uh,
0: me, I'll I'll give you any other seat in this airport. Will you please move?
1: And you do find that, you know, I end up sitting on the floor.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to step back a little bit. Since you wrote this article, I have bumped into, well, in fact, Brett Kelly was a prior guest on our show. I bumped into two or three of my geek friends, and they are all sporting this Zag Zagfolio case. And every time I ask them about it, they say, well, Harry McCracken's <laughs> the one. And I, I don't know, you should have had some deal with them, because I think you sold a lot of these keyboards. I got to use Brett's a little while, and I found the keys are a little, the keyboard is not a regular full-size keyboard. Um... Uh, it, I found it a little difficult to type on because it was a little smaller than regular, but I only played with it for about five minutes. Are you having any trouble with that?
1: You know, everybody's hands obviously are different. I've had no issues with it whatsoever. Uh, I tried another one called the the Adonit Writer. It's a beautifully made thing, and as, as a case, it's nicer than the Zagfolio. But the keyboard is just a skosh smaller, and, and for that, uh, for me at least... The fact it's just a tiny bit smaller made it very difficult to use. And uh, with the Zagfolio, and also with another thing called the Logitech for iPad 2 by Zag, which is sort of a similar keyboard, but in in a lid, you stick on the screen of your iPad. With both of those, I I find I can write as as quickly as I can with with a MacBook Air.
2: Now, one of the things that I've tried before is I've just paired my iPad with the, the regular Apple wireless keyboard, and I tend to like that a little bit better because it is a full-size keyboard. It's, you know, almost the identical keyboard that I'm used to on my MacBook Air. I wonder, did you did you try a solution like that before you, um, you know, zoned in on, on one of these built-in keyboards? Or was the fact that it was actually built into the case a, a primary feature?
1: I have the Apple keyboard. I, I bought that early on. And for me, it wasn't particularly useful just because it kind of assumes you're sitting at a desk. Right. I very rarely am sitting at a desk. Um when I use a laptop, I'm using it in my lap, and I'm running around, so so the portability is key.
2: Right.
0: You know, that's an excellent point, because I, I, like Katie, I use the Apple keyboard, and it's certainly more bulk to carry around, to, to put the keyboard in there as well.
2: Well, and um, there's some awkward issues of it. Sometimes it accidentally turns itself off, and then turns itself on in your bag, and then not only yours your keyboard, but your iPad is run down by the time you get to where you're going.
0: Or worse yet, it locks your keyboard. If um, it locks your iPad, if it turns on and it, it syncs up to the iPad, it thinks you're trying to enter a passcode incorrectly, and after a while, it'll lock your iPad. Yeah. Um, the uh, but but the Zagfolio, Folio, so that seems to be the one. Now, when you use it, I mean, one of the things about and this is true with any keyboard. Uh, one of the weird things about the iPad is you have to reach up and tap the screen while you're typing. Do you find that is much of a problem for you?
1: I've, I've sort of gotten used to it, which is interesting because I, I was skeptical about it, and I'm, I'm generally skeptical about the notion of touchscreen laptops. And I think it's not as much of an issue with the iPad just because the, the screen is small and the keyboard is small, um, so you don't have to do as much reaching as you would with something like a 15-inch like touchscreen laptop. Yes. Uh, there certainly are instances where it's, where it's more cumbersome than... Um, You know, either using an iPad without a keyboard or using a a laptop that doesn't have a touch screen. Uh, But generally speaking, it's not something that that uh, nags at me as being an issue.
0: Yeah, but so the killer feature for you then is really the ability to open the lid and start typing anywhere, and not have to worry about the battery.
1: That's right, and and a related thing, which is I I got an iPad with AT and T built in. And now, I, I generally speaking, I sort of have connectivity coming out of my ears because I, I generally speaking, I have things like my Fi's or or a phone I can I can tether with. Um, but it's just hugely useful to be able to open it up and be online instantly, which you you can with the embedded access, and not having to worry about getting on a hotspot or or tether or whether my Fi is fully charged is also a blessing. And I I feel at least in my line of work it's worth the extra money to to have that uh, assurance that you can be online easily.
0: Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I've got my iPhone that uh, has the ability to tether and I use it with my Mac, but I also pay 20 bucks a month because it's just so convenient just to open the iPad. And uh, and like you, you know, as I'm listening to you, I think, well, you know, I'm not that far from you. When I travel, I pack my Mac in my carry-on. It's a big Pelican carry-on and I don't I don't even want to see it on travel day. I do everything on the iPad all day, but uh, but this, you know, I'm, I might be buying one of these Agfolio cases too. Now, when you want it, because one of the things I like about the iPad is the ability to have it just as the tablet, you know, without any case and being able to to work with it, is it difficult to pull it out of that case when you want to do that?
1: No, it's it's nicely designed. It just it just sort of slides into a slot in the case, and you can slide it out. So if I'm in a hotel room and all I want to do is read. I will sometimes just pull out the iPad and use that as, as a tablet.
2: Nice. All right, let's take a break and talk about our first sponsor, one So, you know, David, I had the daunting task this past weekend of upgrading my father's couple-year-old iMac to Lion. And, uh, you know, normally this isn't that big of a deal, but he had a lot of cruft on his system. He was having some trouble. So I decided that I'm just going to go for the nuke and pave realm. And uh, I told him there's
0: a really good podcast about that. Would you like me to give you a link?
2: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a really good podcast. We might put a link in the show notes to that um, about getting ready for Lion. Um, But I wanted to go with the nuke and pave realm. So I gave my dad this, this list, this checklist of things that he needed to do before upgrading to Lion, including listen to that podcast, but to get together um, all of his software install CDs. And most importantly, Wait,
0: wait, wait a second. Wait, you gave your dad a checklist? I did. Did he do it?
2: Not quite. My dad
0: would have torn it up and given it to me in little pieces.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And to get together all of his serial numbers for all of his applications that he wanted to install. So, dad, list me all of your applications that you want to install and then all of your usernames, all of your um, uh, registration numbers and all of your codes. And and put that all together for me, and he did. Now a couple of years ago, I've got my dad on the one password wagon for for using one password to manage all of his passwords. But he he had figured out that there's another spot in One Password where you can put all of your software licenses. So he put together on on this you know legal pad all of his his applications that he uses and all of their serial numbers. And he says, okay, what are we going to do with this? And I flicked open One Password, and I clicked open the little spot that said software registration. And he said what's that? And I said, dad, you can load all of this information into one password and then you'll never have to look for it again. Because that was one of his biggest complaints is that the the longest step in this process was the time it took him to gather all of this information. So not only will he never have to look for any of his passwords again, he's never going to have to look for any of the serial number information again.
0: So. yeah you know when you do the nuke and pave and you're putting on the first key apps in the, your Dropbox and one password and a couple apps, uh, you don't have that information on your computer yet because one password isn't installed. And when you when you store those license keys in one password, it's already on your iPhone and your iPad because you're syncing it across, right? So that's one of the first things I do. I put Dropbox in, I open up my iPad and figure out what my Dropbox password is.
2: And then once you install 1Password, which maybe you bought it from the Mac App Store and you can just re-download it, and it connects with Dropbox, it will also connect and bring over your 1Password license information, so you have one more thing you don't have to go figure out. Um, And it will bring in all of that information for all of your usernames and all of your passwords. And the thing that I love about 1Password is that because it uses Dropbox, this information is everywhere. It is on every Mac It is on your iPad. It is on your iPhone. It is on your Windows PC at work. If you have to use a Windows PC, I installed 1Password on the Windows machine at work. And if you use an Android phone, because I know not everybody uses iOS, and there are Androids becoming much more popular as well, they have an Android app too. So all of your usernames, all of your passwords, All of your secure notes and now all of your software and serial information. And it was just like when I clicked that little button and showed him that, oh, my gosh, this is all here, too. He was like, I never knew that. I never saw that that was there before. And we will never again have to go searching. Hallelujah.
0: Yeah, 1Password is the gift that keeps giving. So uh, where do you get it?
2: Well, you can get 1Password from the Mac App Store. That's probably one of the best places to get it because you can use it on all of your authorized Macs for $49.99. But if you have to use 1Password on a PC too, and, and I've installed it on my PC at work, they do have a Mac and Windows bundle on their website where you can buy 1Password bundle for $69.99. If you want it on your iOS devices, you can buy a pro version, which is, will work with both the iPhone and the iPad for $14.99. Or if you just have an iPhone or just an iPad, you can buy either version for $9.99. And you can find more information about all of these options over at onepassword.com. And we thank them for their support of Mac Power users. One of the, one of the things I'm curious about is obviously having the accessories like an external keyboard certainly makes you more productive. But one one of the chronic problems with the iPad, and I think Apple is trying to address this a little bit with with iCloud, but ironically the Apple apps don't have this fully baked in yet. Is how do you get all of your content on your iPad, especially if you're not traveling with your Mac and maybe you're not syncing it back and forth, or or your data is one place and your Mac's another place, and your iPad and you are yet another place.
1: Yeah, it's one of the interesting things about doing this in general is I I had to relearn everything I knew about using a computer because it's it's not like jumping from a Windows PC to a Mac where you can continue to use Microsoft Office and Photoshop. And while there might be some differences, they're pretty similar. I I had to learn a whole new set of apps that worked in different ways. And there really is not one universal solution for, for moving stuff between and iPad, and other devices. I, th- I think the notion is that someday iCloud will be that. But it's not yet.
0: Yeah, it seems now Dropbox is the, is the best answer.
1: Yeah, so I use Dropbox in some cases. I, I do use iCloud in others. Um, I just am e- emailing off attachments in some cases. And as I mentioned, an awful lot of my work involves WordPress, which is inherently cloud-based. And sometimes I'm doing some of my WordPress work just in Safari. And I also use an app called Blogsy, which is essentially a, a blogging client for the iPad and lets me work locally on a post and then push it online.
0: Now, do, you, do you write the post in Blogsy or do you just uh, move the text into there for posting it?
1: I, I compose in Blogsy, so, so I'm writing in, in the app. Uh, I've, I've Since I started blogging a few years ago, I very rarely written a blog post and anything but some sort of blogging tool. Okay. So write in Blogsy and uh, click a button and it, it goes online.
0: And Blogsy allows you to easily attach images as well to your posts.
1: That's the single best thing about Blogsy. There, there's also an, an official WordPress app, which has more rudimentary image handling and, and the image handling in Blogsy is really good. I should say that um, there are some challenges with this, but gets updated a lot and, and, The folks who do Blogsy are trying to make it into a a true what-you-see-is-what-you-get blogging tool where where you can see your formatting and your images, and you don't need to worry about HTML. And they're getting there, but it's kind of a rocky road. And as they do new updates, sometimes it breaks a little bit, and then they'll do another update that, that fixes it. And overall, I still find it to be useful, but I feel like my productivity on the iPad would take a huge leap forward if there was one single super solid WordPress blogging tool that has no downsides, which is not quite the case yet.
2: Yeah, yeah I noticed I, that too. I,
0: I used the WordPress back when the iPad was new, and that one to me felt really buggy, and it frequently would have updates that seemed to break everything. And yeah,
1: it, it's okay, but it, but it really assumes that you're, you want to work in HTML, and even if you know the HTML, sometimes you don't want to bother with it.
0: I have to admit, I moved my website over to Squarespace, and they have an excellent tool for uh, iOS. But that's Squarespace, and it's kind of a limited platform. It doesn't give you as much uh, control as I guess you get with with your um, WordPress system.
2: And that's it's also a fee.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. The the so you write the uh, you write the text in Blogsy. Do you use any other text editors or word processors on your iPad?
1: yeah for some things I do that um, because um, I do some stuff that's not going to end up in in, a, in WordPress or another blogging platform and I've, I've tried a bunch of word processors and I keep coming back to, to pages just because it's the only word processor I've found that that a has a nice clean user interface and lets me see a word count which is important for me and B lets me save in, in Microsoft Word format. Um, I've found other word processors either tend to do Word really well, or they have nice user interfaces, but not both, and, and Pages does do both.
0: Yeah. So do you, you still find you need to get out to Microsoft Word at some point with your various publishers?
1: Yeah, in some cases, I am, I am writing for an editor somewhere who is expecting a, a Word document.
0: Yeah, and they so, still haven't really cracked that nut of change tracking. So once you send it off to your editor, do you get changes back, or...?
1: You know, right. luckily enough, the people I write with are not using revision marking. Yeah. But I've, in the past, I've worked for other editors who definitely expect revision tracking, and that, that is a whole um, in the iPad and in general in almost every other application except Microsoft Word. The fact that they don't do Word style revision tracking can be an issue.
0: Yeah, and it really is in in my industry, the legal industry. I deal with a lot of lawyers who want to do more with the iPad, and inevitably, I always get asked the question, "Where where do I track changes?" And you just don't at this point.
1: There are rumors of a um, that Microsoft might be working on an iPad version of Office, and yeah. if, if those that's true, I really hope they do put in revision marking because they'd sell a lot of copies of that.
0: Yeah. yeah, doesn't it seem like they should? I mean, I don't know why they would. There's so many millions of these things out there, and they're a software company. It seems to me like it'd be a no-brainer for them to support it.
1: I hope so. They they do have OneNote for the, for the iPad, so yeah. they've dabbled. And I think the only argument against it is if they expect that Windows 8 tablets are going to kill the iPad, which probably is not going to happen. Uh, and I actually think they you know if, if they put together a really solid version of Office for the iPad, they could charge real money for it and, and make some money.
2: Yeah, I've, I have a feeling that they likely wouldn't do something like that until we get the next full revision of Office and then release it as a as a counterpart to that.
1: But They I could also off. do something like, like they could take the web-based version of Office and, and make it iPad-friendly.
0: Yeah, and I believe that has change tracking in it, so that would solve
1: that problem. I actually don't think it does yet. Oh, it doesn't? Okay. It, it did not originally.
2: Yeah. so i know you take a lot of photos um my my guess is you're probably kind of like a an all-in-one one-man band here so you you take your own photos a lot when you're when you're out on the road and, and you supplement them in in with your own pose um you know with the ipad it, it's somewhat limited I'm, I'm imagining you don't use the ipad camera for these photos but how do you how do you handle the photo uploading and, and image editing process
1: well i've used the camera on my ipad a total of maybe three times okay good just checking
0: and we're about the, about the same there, yeah.
1: So, um, in some cases, I'm using a, you know, a, a full standalone digital camera, and so I, I uh, one of the few iPad accessories I, I travel with is the the SD card adapter. But in a lot of cases, I just use the iPhone to take pictures, and so I don't have to deal with with the SD. Uh, slot in those cases.
0: So you're using the iCloud photo sharing service. The
1: photo I kind of back that. I, I do that sometimes. Sometimes I just email them. Um, there are a number of applications for making an iPhone and an iPad talk to each other, um, so you can transfer pictures. One of them is called Pic Transfer.
0: I, I have found that the iCloud photo stream is so useful uh, for solving that problem that now you just I take almost all my pictures with my iPhone. Uh, mainly for the convenience of having it everywhere so quickly. I bet that would work. You have, have to take a look at that in terms of my blogging engine.
2: Yeah, for some reason I have found it to be a little bit hit and miss. There have been times when I have taken photo. There have been times when I've taken photos with my iPhone or screenshots with my iPhone, and they have showed up in my iPhoto stream instantly. And then others times when they're just not there.
1: It does seem to take a while sometimes. Yeah.
0: So, so you take a picture with your iPhone or with your digital camera, and then you get the the image over to your iPad. And what are your what are your favorite apps for uh, processing those images for posting to the web?
1: Well, it's interesting because I, I would kill for something close to a full blown version of Photoshop for the iPad. Uh, and not only is there not an actual full blown version of, of Photoshop, but I have not found anything that really comes close. So I, I tend to jump back and forth between several different graphics apps. The one that I've, I found most useful is called PhotoForge 2. Um, and typically that's what I use for stuff like, like cropping and resizing. And it has some basic sharpening and other image enhancement features. Uh, and I can also do things that come in handy sometimes, like save directly to to a Picasa um, online album, as well as just save it back to the iPad. Um... And I use other apps sometimes too. I use um, a program called uh, TouchDraw, which is sort of, roughly speaking, an equivalent of something like Adobe Illustrator or Corel Draw, and that's really useful for bringing in images and overlaying text on them, and and uh, and creating sort of photo collages.
0: Yeah. Now the um the you had made a point in your article about dealing with this type of software using your finger as opposed to a mouse or a keyboard. Um, Do you find that that holds you up?
1: You know, the the more I've done this, the better I've gotten at that. So um, I think when I first did it, it was hard to be precise and it's easier now. I I certainly would be grateful if you could always just type in numbers, especially for things like resizing where where precision matters. Um, And with some of these apps, you can do that. and, And some of them are more touch centric and um there certainly are times when i want something to do something really elaborate and want it to look as as best as it possibly can and for those i tend to go back to photoshop but but i'm still learning how um things i thought i couldn't do that it turns out i could like like i think in my article i said that it was a real shame that i i could not use my own fonts on the ipad but could only use the fonts that came on the ipad and then somebody pointed out to me that with touch draw you can in fact put your own two type fonts into the program. You have to do it by transferring them over iTunes. Um, but in fact, you can do it. So um, I'd say about 95% of the time, when I think something is utterly impossible on the iPad, it actually turns out it is possible.
0: Yeah, I had the same experience. One of my favorite apps is OmniGraffle. I don't know if you've ever used that before.
1: Yeah, great program.
0: Yeah, well, they have these libraries, you know, or they call them stencils, and I use them for presentation work all the time. And there, I have a few sets of my favorite stencils, and I was always disappointed that I couldn't use those on the iPad. And turns out, like your fonts in TouchDraw, you can transfer stencil libraries onto the iPad through iTunes in the app window, which is pretty cool. Because now I've got all, those, all my favorite stencils on my iPad as well, which make the app even more valuable to me.
1: That whole mechanism in iTunes of transferring stuff into apps is so hidden and confusing that uh, it's way more useful than you would think it would be. It's just hard to figure it out.
0: Yeah, so you feel like you almost have to know the secret code as to which yeah. apps will do it and which don't, and um, and which isn't really very good. But you know, if you had the ability to know in advance, uh, short of just getting your favorite apps and pulling media into the window and seeing what happens, that would be nice.
1: I did discover just the other day, I, I did a serious presentation in Keynote for the first time, and I happened to create that on, on the Mac rather than the iPad and transfer it over. And as far as I can tell, Keynote only supports the, the standard uh, iPad fonts.
0: Yes, that's, right. I, that's absolutely true.
1: So I had to make do with um, the ones on the iPad, which in the case of, of iOS 5 is actually not a bad collection, although it didn't include the ones I wanted
2: now, do you regularly give presentations with just your iPad? Because I've done that a couple of times, and it's, it's, it's worked for me. But, of course, it hasn't given you the, the full access to visual effects and to fonts, like you said, that you could have if you were using the full-blown Keynote on your Mac.
1: This is the first time I've done it since I've been using the iPad. And um, for the most part, it worked well. I, I, um, I gave this in San Diego, and I, I, one of the hardest, most unreliable things in the whole world of technology is, is getting any device to work reliably with, with a projector. right? And in this case, I had trouble, which I believe was because um, my VGA my dongle, which I plugged into the iPad, was a little wonky. Because uh, if I didn't touch the cable, it worked well. And I also used Apple's Keynote remote app on the iPhone.
2: I did that too, yeah.
1: I was using the iPhone as a remote for the iPad, which actually worked really well. Uh, and the trans- other than not being able to use the exact font I wanted, um, the graphics looked perfect, and the transitions I wanted were supported, so I was happy.
2: You know, I had to do that once out of desperation when my MacBook Air's logic board died the day before I was supposed to give two presentations. And uh, fortunately for me, the presentations were done and stored up in my Dropbox, so it was just a matter of figuring out how to download the presentations onto my iPad and and make sure that they worked and and get them converted over and it 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 went off without a hitch. I mean, it was nerve wracking for me to to have change gears at the last minute, but it worked. And I, I also used the the keynote remote for my iPhone. I found that the because I tend to walk around and talk a lot, and I tend to be a little more animated when I've got that the the remote in my hand. And I was really nervous that I was going to fling the iPhone across the room. <laughs> so,
1: um, uh, actually, one thing which. I probably should have realized but did not realize until i set all this up is this vga dongle plugs into the, the dock connector on your ipad which means you cannot be charging your ipad at the same time you're giving your presentation yes. it's darn well better make sure you have a full charge because um, as long as it's connected to the projector it won't turn off and so it will drain the battery a lot more quickly yeah, They f- they fixed
0: that with the HDMI one, but the, the yeah. VGA is still like that.
2: If you've got a projector that will support HDMI. Yeah, so.
0: which is the exception at this point.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the one thing about it, and I still haven't got over this, is I love the idea of my clicker where I don't have to look down at anything to advance slides. I mean, for me, I want it to be kind of like a magic show and things that just happen, and people don't even notice I have a clicker in my hand. And as soon as you pick up an iPad or an iPhone, you have to look down, and just the act of advancing slides, I think, sometimes distracts the audience. Um, That being said, recently in my office, we've, we've installed an Apple TV and a big LCD TV, and I am presenting with the iPad now almost on a daily basis, wirelessly, and I'm really getting used to it, so I think it won't be long before I'm doing some big presentations with the iPad alone. And it's not that unusual anymore. People are pretty much used to it at
2: this point yeah the the wow factor has gotten out of their bit. I certainly
1: uh when people are giving me presentations, it's no longer all that unusual for them to be doing it on an iPad, and if it's just me and one other person, they often just do it on the iPad screen.:
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. That's a whole new type of keynote presentation, which is opened up by the iPad. And if you're in sales, I mean, as an attorney, I'm kind of in sales. I think in a lot of ways, I, I hand the iPad with the keynote on it to the person that I'm in the room with and I let them advance the slides and let them go at their own pace. And then I just talk while they're advancing. And And if they go backwards then I know I need to kind of give them more information about that. It's really kind of neat. Um, uh, I'm, as we record this, we're getting ready to head up to MacWorld. The show's going to air right after we get back the, um, I'm very tempted to do some of my presentations out there on Mac on the iPad only, and they'll be loaded on my iPad. I haven't decided yet whether I'll actually do it or not, though. Don't forget the dongle. Yeah, I'm encouraged to hear that it worked for you. But isn't that terrifying that moment when you plug into any projector, right? You know, a half hour before you're about to present and you don't know what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, after, after people doing this for 20 years or whatever, it still, for me at least, only works perfectly. Maybe about two thirds of the time, and the other third, there's some problem.
0: Yeah, and then so we've got these bags of of parts in our you know that we take with us of extra cords and and uh, extra extra computers. Even when I go in trial, I have an extra Mac in my trunk with the whole case on it, just in case mine goes up in smoke or the other lawyer spills a glass of coffee on it or something. Uh, I can literally run out to the car and pick up where I left off.
1: And if uh, you have a PowerPoint presentation, there's generally a computer there that has PowerPoint and, and Keynote. Yeah, You can't count on that.
0: Yeah, One of the things I recommend to people do if they're Mac users is to, uh, Keynote has a way to export directly to a QuickTime video. And that will run on any computer, even a PC. And it, you can advance slides with, with a trigger. So that's a nice thing to do, just as kind of a belt and suspenders. But I'm really interested in the idea of walking in a room with an iPad and nothing else and giving a presentation and walking out. I think that would be kind of cool on several levels. But I'm kind of geeky. Yeah. Okay, let's take a break and talk about our second sponsor, the Omni Group. And one of my very favorite Omni applications, in fact, it's the very first Omni product I ever purchased, was Omni Outliner.
2: It was my first Omni product, too. Yeah,
0: well, you know, that was before they had Omni Focus and some of the other products we're using now. But Omni Outliner is the definitive outlining app on the Mac. And it. It does everything you need for a strong outlining app. I use it all the time. So you can fold up uh, branches of an outline. You can set formatting. Uh, it has multiple columns, so you can add checkboxes and dates and other types of information. I mean, it's it's much more than really an outline in that respect. Some people use it as a task management system and uh, other features. Some people use it as a as a rudimentary database or a rudimentary spreadsheet because you can actually perform mathematical functions on... Some of the columns. But at its heart, Omni Outliner is just a killer outlining app. And uh, it's great uh, for using anything where you've got a collection of ideas and you're not really sure how everything fits together. I use it all the time, both in conjunction with uh, OPML workflows on my iPad and on my Mac as well. There's versions of this for both the Mac and the iPad. Um, So on the Mac, they got two versions. They got the Omni Outliner. And then they have Omni Outliner Pro. Uh, With Omni Outliner Pro, you get a couple additional features in addition to attachments and export options which are available in all the versions. uh, You can have saved templates with the Pro version. And uh, that's something I use all the time because as an example, I take depositions as a lawyer and I have this outline that I've created of the basic deposition outline. Well, I saved that as an Omni outline template. So now when I'm starting a new one, I just click a button, and a bunch of the stuff that I need every time is already in there. Have you ever tried that feature, Katie?
2: I have, and you can also, the one that I use quite a bit are um, audio recordings and audio clippings. I use that uh, when I was listening to lectures or CLEs or even back when I was a student.
0: Yeah, I wish I had OmniOutliner when I was a student. I think it would have been so fantastic. I, I did outlining as a student in text. I just made a text file and would... You know, go and enter and hit plus. It would be so much easier to do it with a tool like Omni Outliner. Um, so you can get it for the Mac, and the uh, basic version on the Mac is $40. The pro version is $70. And you can get it on the iPad for just $20.
2: That may be the killer student device.
0: Yeah, it may be. And really, the iPad version of Omni Outliner is really fantastic. They they kept all the features we love the most, uh, the files worked flawlessly going back and forth between the Mac and the iPad. And, you know, it's just a really pretty iPad app. It seems like Omni Group really gets the iPad, and they spend a lot of time thinking about how it's going to look and, and feature for the user to get the data in there.
2: Yeah, and I know they've got very exciting things planned um, with, with new coming features. They were right on top of Siri with with um, OmniFocus and uh, i just can 't wait to see what more comes out of the Omni Group because they are passionate about development for these devices, and they are always on top of things when they come out so i 'm very excited about the development with this program going forward.
0: yeah the Omni Group is one of my favorite Mac developing companies they just they seem like they get it you know they spend a lot of time uh, working on making a user interface that gets out of your way, and if you 're interested in productivity in your Mac. I would check out everything they make. You can find them at the dot com. and thank you Omni for sponsoring the podcast. So sounds like you kind of covered then how you're writing and adding pictures. Uh, what else are you doing on your iPad?
1: Uh, I continue to do all the kind of standard iPad things like, like reading eBooks and browsing the web. Um, actually one issue I've had, which I do not have a perfect solution for in some ways, oddly enough is email. Yeah. I I use Gmail, um, so everything is stored in Gmail. And uh, if I go into Gmail and Safari, it works well. But obviously, I'm in Gmail all the time, and I really want to be be able to flip back and forth between Safari and Gmail and treat Gmail as a standalone application. And iOS has this feature for, for creating an app out of a website um, but it doesn't really work perfectly because, in fact, it is still just a, a Safari window rather than something standalone. And so I've also tried a number of, of applications that essentially are a browser that can only show Gmail. Um, and those tend to work much of the time, but not all the time. Sometimes they misbehave strangely. And I'm also, I actually have two Gmail accounts: I have a personal one and a business one. Which I want to jump back and forth between, which complicates things further, and oddly enough there there is um, now a official Google gmail application, and it's the only application I've used that does not seem to be compatible with external keyboards um, the the on screen keyboard pops up even if you're using an external keyboard really I didn't know that I just discovered that recently and um and then I sometimes use the um the build-in mail application, which obviously works with Gmail and in some ways is quite good, uh, but the search is not up to snuff with that. You're not able to reliably do full-text searching in the way you can with Gmail. And so
2: yeah, I actually
1: end up jumping back and forth between about three or four different ways of doing email.
2: So is that the primary reason why you don't use the mail app on the iPad with a with an IMAP Gmail, is is just searching? Um,
1: that's, that's part of it. I mean, uh, the more you use... The various features built into Gmail—the more you actually want to use Gmail, like like um, in terms of archiving and stuff—although they do have archiving in the the mail app now. Right. Um, it's, it so, still
0: feels to me though like you kind of tie in a hand behind your back when you when you're used to the Gmail and all the experimental features and you open it up in the native uh, iPad mail app. It's not quite there.
1: You can store up to a thousand email messages on on the iPad, which is not bad, but you don't have that feeling you do if you're actually using gmail directly that that all of your email is instantly accessible.
0: so I was giving Microsoft grief earlier why they don't have a Microsoft Office suite on the iPad. I kind of feel like Google's missing the boat too with you know as they try and get more uh, headway with Google documents and the and the services they have. It seems to me like it would make sense for them to have apps. I don't know if that's a decision Google made because they, you know, they believe in the web and not apps, or if that's just uh, maybe Apple's in the way. I don't know, but it seems to me like there's there's an opportunity there for people who love these services to have dedicated apps. Like Google Documents on the iPad is not a, a good experience, and it could be if they would spend some time building an app around it.
1: Another stumbling block. Speaking of Google, is, is Google Plus, which I actually like quite a bit. But I haven't really not found any satisfactory way to use Google Plus on the iPad because because there is an app, but it's an iPhone app, um, and uh, I, it does not work very well. And if you and there's a kind of a, a tablet friendly version of the web based version of Google Plus, but I have trouble with that. And then even if I use a browser other than Safari, so I can fool Google Plus into thinking I'm using a desktop browser. Yeah. The full-blown version of Google+, Plus that also doesn't work very well. And I'm actually using Google+, Plus less these days than I would otherwise, simply because I can't use it very well on an iPad. Yeah, I'm sure you're not alone. I should also say another app I use all the time, speaking of of social networking, is is Hootsuite, which is these days kind of my primary Twitter client. And uh, it does work really well on the iPad.
0: So what is your when you want an alternative browser to fool people into thinking you're on a different platform, what's your favorite one?
1: Uh, I've jumped back and forth between a lot of them. For a long time, I used one called Atomic Web Browser, which was one of the first good ones. Uh, lately, I've used iCab Mobile. Um, there are lots of them which seem to be sort of roughly comparable. Um, and they all have a few features, which Safari doesn't. And, and one feature which they tend to have is the, is the ability to fool the web into thinking you're using a desktop browser, which actually comes in handy quite often. Yeah, because absolutely. sometimes well, um, a lot of sites are kind of too smart for their own good, and they, they think they need to change things around for the iPad, when in fact the iPad is perfectly capable of handling the full-blown version.
0: Well, I'm going to look up iCab, because we talked about this recently on our show, and I had recommended Atomic Web Browser, and we got several emails from listeners who also recommended iCAP, so I'm going to have to give that one a shot. I haven't played with that yet. They're both good.
2: Now, speaking of web browsers, has Flash been an issue?
1: Flash is, I don't want to say it's never an issue, um, but if I had to choose between the downsides of Flash and once in a great while wanting Flash, I, I, would, I would totally go with Flash not being present on this device um, because another thing which I have not mentioned yet that is really useful is the degree to which an iPad almost never expects anything of you other than letting you use your apps. You're almost never having to maintain it. Um, It's pretty rare for it to to crash. Uh, Apps just tend to keep on going. And and when you start to introduce things like Flash onto a platform, it gets a lot less reliable and you end up spending more time fiddling with your computer rather than working. And um, the only time I, I, there's one instance when I, I think I discovered there was something I wanted to do, which I couldn't do because I didn't have Flash, which was I went to the, the Facebook conference and, and saw Mark Zuckerberg's keynote, and then I was writing about it, and I, I wanted to get the exact wording of something he said, and I, I believe that the only full version of his keynote was on Ustream, which required Flash, and, and so I was not able to get it because of that, and that, that is the only thing that sticks in my mind where I, I really felt like Flash would be useful But it seems like almost everything I want uh, finds iPad users to be an important enough constituency that that they make the video work.
0: And don't you think the fact that Adobe itself has kind of abandoned the mobile Flash platform, uh, that people are going to find ways to make it work even more so?
1: Yeah, it's it's just not that much of an issue. And um, most of the stuff I want, I can get. And uh, there are probably a few instances that aren't coming to mind right now when it would have been helpful, but not many.
0: You know, that, that point about maintenance of the iPad is a good one that we've really never made on the show. Um, I remember I, I wrote two books, one called Mac at Work and one called iPad at Work. The first one, I had this whole chapter with all the tools and all these troubleshooting steps. And when I did this, the one on the iPad, it really occurred to me there's, there are no troubleshooting steps. I mean, the, you turn it off and turn it back on, or you kill the app. But, I mean, there's like two or three things you do, and that's all there is to it.
1: Almost anything that goes wrong with an iPad can be solved by just rebooting it. Yeah. <laughs> the memory that's... management on the iPad tends to be great, but it's not perfect. Uh, and usually if something goes wrong, it's because the memory is a little munched somehow, and, and just starting over again will fix it.
0: Yeah. It's it's really it's really something else. And, and we're just at the beginning of this journey. Um, uh, have you played with any of the other tablet computers out there in comparison to the iPad? Or just I generally,
1: I've used a bunch of the Android ones, and uh, I use the playbook and the touchpad, and um, you know, a lot of what I do, I think I could do on, on other tablets. Um, although generally speaking, most of them, the battery life is not as good as the iPad, um, and there's obviously a huge difference between a, a tablet with five hours of battery life and one with with ten hours.
0: Yeah. So what's the 20%? You know, what, Where do you run into the wall and, and you need to get to your MacBook Air or to your PC laptop?
1: Well, some of the 20% is, is not um, forced on me. Um, basically, if I'm at home, sometimes I just reach for whichever device is closer, and sometimes that's the iPad, and sometimes it's a computer. Um, there are certainly times when having a, a little bit more screen resolution, and just a larger screen is helpful uh, especially with, with things like fancy graphics. I can certainly still work faster in Photoshop than I, I can with graphic apps on the iPad. Um, I mentioned sort of mundane things like accounting and, and web development. Um, I have not, since I've been doing this, since I don't do all that much with video editing, I have not even really attempted to do video editing on the iPad yet. I kind of guess that's something that probably benefits from from being on, on the computer. Um, although I'm not sure, so I, I shouldn't, uh, just assume that the iPad is not as good as it could be.
0: I'll tell you, um, this isn't really related to video, but GarageBand I find on the iPad is more fun and I make better stuff on it than I do on the GarageBand for the Mac. I
1: have to say I'm continuously fascinated by the degree to which, um, people have preconceived notions about the iPad, which are extremely hard to shake and an awful lot of people they just know in their heart that it, it's not good for creating stuff. And even if I say I've been doing it for five months, uh, they either don't believe me or they, they think I'm kind of a dunderhead or they think I'm just trying to prove a point. Um, and in some cases, those people have tried an iPad and have not liked it. But I think in some cases, they haven't even tried to do this. And they they just assume that it's not good. And uh, I think eventually, um, these people are going to start to be in the minority because... Right now, I'm, I'm fairly unusual, but I don't think that's going to be true forever.
0: Yeah. Stuff is just going to get, the software is just going to get better. The hardware is just going to get faster. And uh, all the, the hangups that people have are going to go away.
1: One of the cool things is just how rapidly applications are getting better. Um, if you use Microsoft Office, you know, you get one large media upgrade every few years. And for most of the apps I use, I'm getting an upgrade every few weeks and sometimes more often than that. And oftentimes, if there's a feature that I want that an app doesn't have, it, it turns up in the next upgrade.
0: Yeah, it's uh, we, we didn't talk much about text editors, because it sounds like you work mainly in Blogsy and Pages, but I like using text editors. And there is an active arms race of features going on among the text editor uh, publishers. And anytime someone thinks of a better way to do something, very quickly it's adopted by most of the major Players out there,
1: I think it's probably a lot like what using a Mac was like back in the very early days in the '80s, when when all the applications were new and immature. Yeah, they were all getting better all the time. Although it's better than that because back in those days, they had to stick them on floppy disks and shrink wrap them and send them out.
0: Yeah, you had to wait for a magazine to show up, or there was something. It was very complicated.
1: With the App Store, it's it's just so easy.
0: Yeah. Now, when you you take your MacBook Air, is it a 13 or an 11 inch?
1: I have a 13-inch one, um, partially uh, because it has longer battery life and, and also because, at least at the time I got it, the SD slot seemed like a really important feature, and the 11-inch the does not have that.
2: Do you think if you had gotten the 11, you would be using it any more often compared to the iPad, just from a portability standpoint?
1: Uh, I don't think so, because um, while it is more portable than the 13-inch the battery life does not compare with the iPad. I I, mean, I I get that an awful lot. People come up to me all the time and ask me why I'm not just using a MacBook Air. And, and really, it's it's the battery life. That's kind of the key thing there.
0: It's right. like the battery life and the internet connection, too. Yeah,
1: that's true. And with, with Windows computers, you can get something with embedded AT&T or Verizon. And, uh, well, I'm I'm not sure why Apple has never done that with Macs. They have not.
0: So... so- Go
1: ahead,
2: Kate. Well, I was. It's it surprised me a little bit in a very pleasant way that that someone who is as technically savvy and who does so much in the technical world as you is is able to get by primarily on an iPad. Because I always assumed that if anybody was going to use an iPad as their primary device, it would be um, one of these less technical people. You know, I know, for example, um, David. I think you said your sister recently just moved to go to an iPad. As her primary right. computing device, and your kids are are going that way. And I know my grandparents' next computer in their house is going to be just an iPad. I, I wonder, Harry, if you could just gaze into your crystal ball. Um, where do you think this is going in in the next three to five years? Because it seems like Apple intentionally, when the iPad first came out, didn't want it to cannibalize Mac sales and, and made it a little bit difficult for the iPad to be your only computer. Um, but with iOS 5, that's not really the case anymore, and you can set it up without a Mac or a PC.
1: Yeah, it, it became much more of an, an autonomous computing device once iOS 5 came out. And um, I mean, there there are both knowns and unknowns here. I, I feel very confident that the applications are going to get richer, and um, and there's a lot of stuff which you should be able to do in an iPad, and the only reason you can't get is because the applications are still immature. And I think sort of the $100,000 question is what, what is Apple's overarching strategy here? Um, and I wrote recently on CNET about the fact that that if, if Apple made some sort of a clamshell laptop-like device that ran iOS 5, I'd, I'd be very interested in buying it. And I'm trying to figure out whether that's an impossibility or something that will happen someday. And I, I sort of feel like it's something that probably will happen someday because I do think that Apple sees iOS as its future operating system and uh, and the Mac as a as a legacy platform. And so I'm not expecting something that looks like a computer but runs iOS 5 to run to show up in 2012. But I, I would kind of be startled if it never shows up.
0: Yeah, Apple's never been afraid to cannibalize itself.
1: And and in fact, there are all kinds of little signs that they are trying to make it easier for people who are using iPads for um, serious work because while there are some keyboard shortcuts that, that I can't get, there are all kinds of ones that do work. I, I can cut and paste and uh, and do stuff like that and tab around. And somebody at Apple has invested energy in making that work well. So I don't think that Apple is, is inherently anti-physical keyboard in the way that that they definitely are anti-stylus and, and you never will see an iPhone with a stylus. I feel like you might see a somewhat iPad-like device that has a physical keyboard.
0: Yeah. In fact, they, you know, they had a keyboard when they first announced the iPad and we were all thrilled because we had waited four years to get it for our, iP- our iPhones. You know, they never had the Bluetooth switch turned on for the keyboard before then.
1: Speaking of Bluetooth, one thing which has not been an issue, but it, it does nag at me a little bit is all of these external keyboards run on Bluetooth and that means they have batteries and that means you need to worry a little bit about keeping them charged. Um, I think Zag says it can run for 10 days on a charge, and that seems to be right. So it's not something that you constantly have to worry about. But but I do sort of worry that I will be doing something like giving a presentation or meeting an important deadline, and the, the keyboard will conk out on me.
0: Yeah, that wouldn't be good. I, I found that I can type on the on-screen keyboard pretty well. Even up to about 500 words, I'm okay Uh but I don't think I'm as fast. Well, I know I'm not as fast as I am with a with a standard keyboard.
1: To me, it's, it's both the issue of how quickly you can type and also the fact that that keyboard takes up a large portion of the screen, which means you have a teeny tiny window for whatever you're working on. And the external keyboard doesn't just get you nice clacky keys. It also lets you devote the entire screen to your document.
0: Yeah, it's an excellent point. Well, Harry, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I'm going to put in the show notes links to all the apps we talked about. Well, actually, before we go, is there did I miss anything? Are there any other big apps you use to get all the stuff done?
1: I think we covered most of the uh, major ones. Although, since I've started doing this, I've I really ended up with sort of a collection of, of dozens of applications which I use at least occasionally. Um, actually, when people are presenting to me, a lot of the time these days, they're doing it via services like GoToMeeting and Webex and uh, Adobe Connect. And not only do those all have iPad applications, but the iPad versions are way better than than the Mac versions and the PC versions because none of them require Java or Flash, and therefore they're a lot more reliable.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Another cool thing, by the way, is that um, it's easy to experiment because a certain percentage of the apps I use are free, and the ones that are not free tend to be just a few dollars. And it's it's not a huge tragedy if you buy something, and it's not a keeper in the way that it is if you spent forty or fifty or sixty or $100 on a hundred dollars on on a traditional application.
0: Yeah. So you've been in this game long enough; you probably remember the the Palm Trio apps, where they were fifty or sixty dollars for yes, something that is basically
1: for a long time, and and uh, and those apps were not a few dollars; they were quite a bit more.
0: Yeah, And half of the time, they weren't that good <laughs> after you bought them. But uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the price of admission is so low with these apps, it makes it really easy to, to download a new browser just because someone tells you it's good and pay a dollar and just see how it works.
2: Uh, Harry, I do want to pick your brain on on one more topic and and you can keep this short or, or you can decide to expand on on it however much you want, but um, I just feel since you 're here and since it 's timely and I know that you were in the Apple education event in in New York recently. What do you think is the future of iPads in education? This is a a topic that's that 's very interesting to me I, I have a family member who recently graduated with a teaching degree and uh, hopefully will be a brand new teacher entering. Uh, the the workforce and is excited about all this new technology potentially coming out. Um, do you think it's going to happen?
1: I mean, I think it, it has the potential to be as transformational or even more transformational than almost anything else Apple has done just because um, of all of the downsides of textbooks. They're, they're too expensive. They're too heavy. They're often not very engaging. And, and if Apple can truly fix that, it really could change everything. And my biggest concern is, is just the, the fact that um, we have all these underfunded school systems that are just barely hanging in there. And it, it seems like it's asking quite a bit of them to to figure out how to acquire iPads and to get these these cool textbooks onto iPads. And therefore, I can, I can kind of see private schools or charter schools being the first ones that do it. And I'm a little more worried about um big school systems, which are probably the ones where this could be most useful. But I was talking to somebody at the event who said something which, which rang true to me, which is, um, if this is big, maybe it's it's not just kind of big, it's, it, it is something that changes everything, and, and the school system a few years from now is almost unrecognizable because this has been so important, and it almost seems more likely that that's going to happen than that. The school systems are going to remain kind of the same as they are now, except that iPads are, are around.
0: Yeah, let's hope. The uh, I also think that the technology is going to get more affordable in the very near future, and it will become more practical for them. You know, it, it's not quite there yet in terms of the pricing, but I don't see why it wouldn't be in within a few years.
1: Well, one thing I hope happens is that um, the fact that Apple is doing this causes Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and more startups to, to do this. And, uh, and if a school system is not going to go all iPad, there may be much more affordable tablets that have some of the same benefits. And, and there are some startups already like, like Inkling who are doing this. Uh, I think the potential is just huge. And actually, as I was at the event, I almost felt sorry that I, I went to college 25 years ago And that right now, because I think I would be a lot more excited about learning uh, with some of these applications.
0: It's a lot easier now, that's for sure.
1: I also got excited about using the the iBooks author just to publish books. Um,
0: You know, I wrote an article about how excited I am about it, and I've received emails from a lot of my friends telling me that I'm off my rocker. But it seems to me like it is really transformative. And the, the ability to embed media is so easy. I just don't see how this can't be a big deal. But I guess we'll find out.
1: I'm excited. I mean, there there is this question, which is still being thrown around a lot, that if you give away the books you create, you can just distribute them. But if you charge, Apple says you have to go through the iBook store.
0: Yeah, I'm, and I'm
1: excited about it.
0: And it's not really clear exactly how far that goes. Does it apply to PDFs? And I don't even really, really want to get into it now because I don't think anybody really knows. But I can say having written books for major publishers that uh, they are pretty aggressive about what they want in terms of the rights to the stuff you write. So, And I know that's not really analogous in a lot of ways, but it's a, it's an interesting business to say nonetheless, I guess.
1: By the way, um, one last thought, which is, when I was at the Apple event last week in New York, I live blogged it, that, and that's something I still did on a MacBook Air. Uh, as you can imagine, when you're at one of these Apple events, um, and you're doing a live blog, and you might have thousands of people looking in, you want you want to do everything you can to to have a sort of that belt and suspenders approach, and to um, to make sure that even if something goes wrong. They're not going to be cut off. And with the, um, with the iPad, I basically could only get online through AT&T if AT&T coverage was okay, or Wi-Fi if there was good Wi-Fi. And with, with the MacBook Air, I also had a long Verizon, and I had other ways of getting online. And I felt like there was just a, a little less chance of unexpected things going wrong. And I, I use a service called Cover It Live, which I know works well on the MacBook Air. And while they, while they do also work on an iPad, I just wasn't quite as confident in that. So that was another example of me doing something partially for my own comfort on a, a MacBook rather than an iPad.
0: And it also gave you the ability to jump into your WordPress installation and in your server if anything went kablooey because so many people were tuning in.
1: That's probably one case where it is a little bit easier to jump jump between things uh, than it would be on on the iPad.
0: Well, I'm, in, I'm inspired by what you've done, and I'm definitely going to be looking at where I'm using my iPad and where I'm not. And I'm going to pick up some of these apps, too. I, I think I'm going to have to go buy one of these keyboards. I'm just
1: going to have to do it. Well, cool. I look forward to hearing what you think.
2: Well, Harry, where can where can people find you? Where can people find your writings online and and how can they connect?
1: You can find me on technologizer.com. You can also check me out in the tech section of time.com and sometimes in time in print. And I also have a blog on CNET called Challengers.
0: All right. And then you're also on Twitter, right?
1: That's right. Twitter is Harry McCracken.
0: All right. Well, everybody check out Harry's uh, various uh, publishing uh, locations. I'm going to put all the links for these apps and the original article as well as Technologizer and Harry's Twitter in the show notes. So go check that out. And thanks again, Harry, for coming in and giving us your time and sharing your story.
1: Thanks, folks. It was a lot of fun.
2: All right. Well, we, uh, we do have some feedback that we want to get to. David, it's been a while since we've done some feedback. We've been on a roll with some great workflow episodes here.
0: Yeah, we've been pushing to get these uh, shows done because we're on our way to Macworld as we record this. We want to make sure nothing got held up for our beloved listeners. But we've got feedback, so let's catch up. All right. The, um, uh, when we did the show, I think it was an ad spot, actually, for OmniGroup. I could I had a brain fart. I couldn't remember the name of Microsoft Visio, which is the equivalent on the Windows platform. Yeah, don't call on, it the equivalent. Well, it's the it's, it's a similar app. But I would agree. Omnigraffle is much better. And I uh, I have worked with Vizio and I've worked with Omnigraffle and you, sir, are no Omnigraffle.
2: There you go. Right. Uh I also got a I think we got we both got an email from from Jim and I think David we responded to it in the same way but Jim asked among other things is it better to purchase apps in general in the App Store versus directly from the manufacturer's website it seems like if I buy an app from the store then multiple Macs within the same household/Apple ID can use the same app but I'm not sure if this is true for all apps in the App Store though all right well here's the deal uh, there's a, there's a lot of pros and cons to purchasing an app from the app store versus the manufacturer's or the developer's website. And, and I, you know, we're probably not going to cover them all, but in a nutshell, purchasing any app through the app store is going to get you Uh, technically a family license to it, assuming that a computer is licensed with the Mac App Store credentials. So any computer that is licensed with your App Store credentials is going to be able to use that, whether you have um, a laptop and a desktop or multiple Macs within your households, or whether you authorize Macs within your family to use that, um, it's going to work. Now, obviously, that's only meant to be used within the family setting, and you don't want to give just anybody your your, uh, Apple ID credentials. Um, it's also very convenient. You go in the Mac App Store, you download it, it's sandboxed. it's got a little more security, and it's going to update itself through the Mac App Store. It's a really convenient place to buy and download your apps. Downside, Apple gets a 30% cut, so if you buy it direct from the developer, the developer is going to do a little bit better than if you bought it from the Mac App Store. Additionally, through the Mac App Store, there are no upgrades and limited free trials. So, if you you know buy version 1 of the app and then version 2 comes out, the developer's got to make the decision, is version 2 a free upgrade? Is version 2 a completely new product in the Mac App Store? Do they offer introductory pricing, or is it just a new product at a new price? Whereas if you buy it direct from developers, sometimes you can get upgrade pricing and, and things like that. Me personally, I am moving towards buying all my stuff from the Mac App Store because I think a lot of these problems are going to sort themselves out, and I think... Um, that's where developers are going to distribute most of their apps in the future. And um, I, I like the convenience. What about you, David?
0: It is just so convenient jumping on my daughter's computer and downloading 1Password yes. through the Mac App Store and or whatever app it is that you're using. A couple of clarifications. You can get upgrades on the Mac App Store, updates, I mm-hmm. guess. I guess that's the word, is updates. Those come down automatically. But when they go from version 1 to version 2, that's when you run into the question as to whether or not they're gonna just give it to you. And some developers do that, or they're gonna list it as a new app entirely and you'd have to buy it separately. Although in my experience, when they do that, they usually have an introductory price that's very, very competitive. So you're almost paying the same as if you were just upgrading it to the website. But so every developer's I'm with you. different.
2: So Yeah. You've so, got to keep but an eye so I'm out.
0: with you that I'm with you that I generally buy through the app store. I'll tell you there's something I'm worried about. There's a storm over the horizon that people aren't fully aware of yet. And it's this whole brewing dispute over sandboxing. Apple's becoming much more aggressive with the sandboxing rules about what apps can and cannot do. And they're making it so you have to have access to certain databases and uh, interoperative apps, such as um, uh, Keyboard Maestro, is a good example. You know, some of these apps, we're buying them in the app store. I'm a little worried that Apple's going to prevent them from continuing to support it in the App Store because by definition, the apps work with multiple apps and they might not be able to um, follow Apple's brewing sandbox rules. And I don't know if that's going to happen with the next version of Mac OS X or if that's going to happen later this year, but I think there are some issues with that. So I'm a little leery about buying App Store apps that may fall under those rules. But in general, I'm absolutely with you, and I buy almost everything from the App Store.
2: Well, I'd have to look it up. There was actually a deadline on that that was looming. There were some articles on it recently, and then Apple pushed the deadline back. Yes. So, yeah.
0: Yes, and, and hopefully, I mean, what they really should do, I think John Gruber or Andy and I, somebody talked about this. Uh, what they really should do, and I agree with them, is push it back to the next major OS 10, so we can kind of understand exactly what we're up against. All right. They haven't done that yet, though. So No, I
2: don't think so. they've done that. I think they just need to be very clear about what they're doing, and they probably should have been more clear about it before developers got in the App Store to begin with.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ron wrote in, and he is looking to develop a calendar system, and he wanted his calendar to send notifications out and automate that process um, based on calendar events, Um I told him he should listen to our automator show because I think you could make iCal events that would do that. And uh, I haven't looked into detail. I haven't heard back from Ron yet, but I think that's probably where he's going with it.
2: So my understanding of what Ron wants to do, and, and I may be wrong, but he wants a particular event to send him an email reminder prior to that event, but, but specific to, or, or to email somebody else of an upcoming event. So like if he, puts in a, an email reminder of, of meeting with this particular client that he wants that to email that client. I think, and I, depending on how specific and what, exactly what he wants to do, I think this is something that you can set up just as an alarm in iCal.
0: Yeah, so if you look in iCal, under the alert setting, right. one of the options is email. So you can tell it to send you an email, and then you can pick whether it's a day before or a minute before. Um, there's a whole bunch of settings, so you can you can tell it to uh, send you an email. All right.
2: Uh, we got an email from Michelle, who is a new listener to the show. Welcome, Michelle. Um, and she sat down and is listening to Mac Power Users Episode 7, which is our LaunchBar Black Belt. And uh, she's really enjoying digging into LaunchBar. And she found something that I guess we didn't talk about in the show, but I, I thought we would mention it. But one of the things we talked about in that episode is how you can create a calendar event using LaunchBar. And I guess one of the things we we made the example of is if I want to have dinner with David at 7 p.m. But what if I want to have dinner with David at Lori's Diner at 7 p.m.? So one of the things you can do to add a uh, location to your launch bar is to just separate these events with an at sign. So, for example, dinner with David, at sign, Lori's Diner, at sign, 7 p.m., and it will figure it out. Launch bar is so smart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love Launch Bar. Keep using it. Yeah. The um, uh, we got an... I sp- I talked about an app called Read Now, which allows you to tap into your Instapaper, and your Read It Later uh, flows, and it's uh, basically gives you a dedicated Mac OS Ten app experience. It is sadly no longer in the App Store, and I don't know the whole story behind it, um, hmm. so I'm not really sure, and I don't want to speculate too much. But the that app is not on the App Store anymore. So sorry about that. Yeah. In fact, I think it came down between the time we recorded the show and the time we posted the show. So I think it's because um, we were so popular. Uh, I wish I could say that.
2: <laughs> I think it came down after your blog post, though.
0: Yeah, well, it was up when I when I posted about it.
2: Right. Uh, also, in our browser war shows, we we talked quite a bit about the Grease Monkey plugin for Firefox. And we were both pining away saying, gosh, it'd be really cool if we could have something like that for Safari, which I know is your web browser of choice, or Chrome, which is my web browser of choice. And we had a bunch of people write us in uh, with alternatives for Grease Monkey. Um, And there's apparently one called Tamper Monkey, which the name in and of itself scares me. But... um, This is a a suggestion from Greg. He says he's not sure if it's fully compatible with Grease Monkey scripts, but it seems to do the job just fine. Uh, And he's been using it with many of his Grease Monkey scripts without a problem. So this will work with Chrome. So I'm all set, David. You should switch to Chrome.
0: Yeah. That's really not that big of a deal to me. Okay. But if someone proves me, like if Brett Terpstra dealt with it for like 10 minutes, then I would need it because he would make it do something amazing, right? But at this point, I think I'm okay without it.
2: And, uh, you know, the browser that we did not talk about in our browser war shows was Choosy. Yes. Uh, That's right. Choosy is, I don't know if you would call it a plug-in or a utility, um, but Choosy works on your Mac to allows you to choose which browser you want to use for certain situations. So maybe you want to open a specific website always in this specific browser, or maybe... Um, you know maybe you always want to open in a default browser except under these circumstances, so Choosy or maybe you want to open a link in a specific browser um, and Choosy will intercept the activity uh, and and allow it to open in that browser of choice so that's an that's an interesting app that I do not use but i have I've heard of people using it, so it's something to check out
0: another one we didn't mention, which we probably should have, was Camino yes. And, uh, yeah, it used to be a bigger deal on the Mac than it is now. It seems like it was kind of supplanted by Chrome.
2: Right.
0: But Camino, I always looked at it as like the clean version of Firefox. It was, built, it, was mo- it looked more like a map, Mac app. They kind of spent more time making it more Mac-friendly. I don't think it had the same plug-in support as Firefox, although it may be wrong. It's been years since I used it. Uh, but uh, a few listeners wrote in and said that they like Camino still, mm-hmm. and uh, that's worth looking into.
2: I do. All right. Well, I think unless you've got anything else, that's going to wrap us up.
0: Yeah, it was fun. I'd like to thank uh, Harry McCracken for coming on the show. And uh, I thought his story was real interesting. And I'd like to hear from other users or listeners of the show that are, are getting by on their iPad only. I think that's a growing crop of people in the world.
2: Right. Um, if you want to contact us or have links to everything that Harry talked about and all of the applications, um, you can find all the links that we talked about on our website at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5 MPU. You'll find a link to all of our shows and their respective show notes.
0: You can send us feedback on, via email to feedback at macpowerusers.com.
2: We're also on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at MacSparky.
0: And thanks to our sponsors, One Password and the Omni Group.
2: Yeah. Uh, and David, next show, we are going to be talking to Colleen Wainwright for another workflows episode. And she is a hoot.
0: Yeah, the Communicatrix. So if you want to get ready for the show, go check out communicatrix.com. Colleen is a really smart lady and she loves her Mac and has lots of
2: interesting tips to share. All right. right, So thank you for listening and we will see you all next time.